Well, good morning again, and it's great to worship as the church. Um, my car sometimes is a really fun place to worship, but the church gathered all shouting his name, his praise. There's nothing like it, right? Amen. Hmm. Hey, wanted to open our time this morning uh, with a few prayer requests for you. The first one is uh, for Pastor Mark and Marion. Uh, many of you have been asking about their return and anticipating that. I had someone lean over to me this week and say, are they really coming back? The answer is yes. Uh, Lord willing, on Monday the 16th, starting that week, they'll be back. Um, and so we want to just pray in anticipation uh, that God will continue to pour his, his life and his spirit, uh, and breathe them in with new life as they're um, away. But during this time, our staff has kind of just been overwhelmed with your graciousness uh, as a church to uphold them in prayer, to ask uh, how they're doing, um, and even to care for some of the ministry needs in their absence. Uh, and so we're just so grateful for you as a church uh, stepping into that calling. Heavy on our hearts, though, is their return. Anytime uh, that somebody goes away and then comes back, especially in a, in a public uh, sense, um, there's going to be people that want to say hi and ask questions, and things are different uh, when they come back. People have come that they don't know yet, and so a lot of those dynamics, along with what God is wanting to speak into their life uh, as, as he's changing all of us from the inside out, and so we just wanted to pray uh, for them uh, before they come back, just that our hearts would be open to, to lead us in prayer for them this, this week. Also wanted to take some time to pray for those that have been affected by uh, Hurricane Dorian in the Bahamas. Um, the reports that are continuing to come in, if you've seen flyover pictures or videos of the devastation, it's far and wide. I watched an interview this morning with a man that has traveled to most of the uh, world crisis situations, whether it be genocide or natural disasters all over the world, and he said, this one smells just like the rest of them, uh, meaning that you can actually smell what a disaster smells like. You can smell people that have died. Uh, and he just said, it's eerie. Um, and, and as he's there, he's standing in the midst of this heap saying, there's not even a place that you can walk without seeing uh, just the total destruction. The prime minister said that they're in the midst of the greatest national crisis their country has ever faced. Um, a few of pe our people here at, at FCC have uh, been partnered with uh, church, churches and ministries that have ministered in the Bahamas in the past, and so we've been hearing some reports from how those different churches or ministries are doing, and uh, quite honestly, we're, we're kind of just waiting for more uh, to hear, ways that we can help or serve uh, what we can do, but a lot of them kind of are stationed right on the edges saying we're kind of like launching people into this zone that just needs so much help. Um, it still feels early to know what to do, and we don't have an action plan for our church, at least, but we do know of organizations that are doing wonderful work, and I wanted to highlight one for you this morning, uh, Samaritan's Purse, um, doing this work in the name of Christ they're moving in a number of field hospitals that can take in patients uh, up to 100 different surgeries a day they can do in these mobile hospitals, delivering disaster relief kits to families, anyone they see just giving it out. Um, mobile shelters, allowing people that don't have a home, which is many of them, to just kind of set up wherever they can find a spot. 
water treatment stations capable of turning salt water into fresh water, um, and hundreds of disaster relief workers they're bringing in. And so um, I want you to look at this clip to see kind of what the work that they are doing is all about. For the past week, Hurricane Dorian has been gaining speed and power and coming through the Caribbean. And it took a turn to the Grand Bahamas September 2nd, and then just kind of stopped right over top of the Grand Bahamas, specifically Freeport, and just caused a huge amount of devastation. So some of the needs, of course, are food, clean water, shelter, tarp. We saw that uh, the hospital in Freeport was flooded. And so we want to be able to just assess those needs and prioritize what is most important. Planning on having numerous trips with the DC-8. It's a short distance, so that is a, a huge blessing for us. And we're just really, really blessed to have this asset to be able to help people right away. We really appreciate your prayers, specifically for the people of the Bahamas, as they're just a devastated in great need right now. And also just for your support and your prayers for our team, as we want to meet those needs as soon as possible. Thank you very much. So those two uh, needs and prayer requests, I want to give you the opportunity uh, on our church's uh, website. There's a place for you to click right to Samaritan's Purse and see where you can give uh, and needs that you can be praying for alongside of those things. And you'll notice other places that they are just whenever there's a disaster, they walk in in the name of Christ and just continue to, to serve and to love. And so um, I'm going to ask you to do something this morning. And I got like attacked for this in the other two services, but we are the church, right? Gathering in prayer is a core function uh, of, of the church, what it means to be the body of Christ. And so I know this will be uncomfortable for you, but I'm okay with that, okay? So I'm going to ask you to turn with a small group of people around you. Maybe you don't know their name. That's okay. You can get to know their name. And take a few minutes to just pray for those two things, Mark and Marion, as their return back uh, to fellowship, and also uh, for the people that are, have been affected by Hurricane Dorian. So go ahead and do that. I mean, a few of you want to lead out in prayer, and then I'll close our time of prayer together this morning.
Father, we are so thankful that, Lord, as many of us in this room are getting the opportunity to talk to you and, and, and pray to you, Lord, we know that you hear us. We know that you are with us. Lord, we also know that you are um, with those that are suffering right now, uh, not only in the Bahamas, but even up into uh, parts of the East Coast. Lord, I pray for specifically churches maybe that are gathering in the, in the destruction right now. They're just clinging to hope in Christ. Lord, would you encourage them this morning? Would you remind them of your faithfulness even though they can look around and see so much brokenness? Lord, people maybe that are uh, living at churches right now and pastors are kind of just taking things in and, and assessing the many that have died and also the, the life-altering circumstances of people that are just coming into their doors. Lord, might they cling to a hope like they've never known before. That you are the God who loves them, is on the throne, and cares for them. We look to you, God, now and pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, we're going to take a little bit of a turn from our sermon series that we've been doing this summer, Every Story, His Name, and allowing just for a pause as we think about the beginning of this season, the fall. Many of you walked through the ministry fair this morning, and so uh, this was heavy on my heart this week as I thought about the ministry fair. And so I wanted to just read a few verses as we begin our time together this morning. They will all be up on the screen. John's writing here in 1 John, and he says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Luke records the words of Jesus here. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Paul writes to the Colossian church, Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. In 1 Timothy again, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes, Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. And in 2 Corinthians, Therefore we do not lose heart, Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Man, what timely verses, even as we just finished praying for people who have lost all the earthly stuff. In moments like this, you think about like, how could God have crafted more perfect words for moments like this? But the, he crafted them actually for moments that were written 
when they were written a long time ago. And these people at this time in Solomon's day, in John's day, in Jesus' day, and in Paul's day, all struggled in the very same ways that you and I often struggle with. A human heart chasing momentary happiness. I am a seven on the Enneagram. If you've heard of the Enneagram before, it is sort of a personality test and it allows you to look at uh, the motivation sort of behind why you would choose to do the things that you do. It's kind of an interesting test uh, and I wouldn't say that it's the most exhaustive test because there's a thousand others you can try that all have good opinions too. But this one, I think sevens are the best on the whole thing, right? Because sevens are labeled the, the life of the party, right? They are just the fun people you want to be around. But right on the heels of that, a seven's fatal flaw is this. Listen to this. The fear of being deprived some luxury or comfort on this earth. Dang, that is not good for a seven, right? Life of the party, and they're afraid of maybe not having all of their comforts in this world. And so I find it so comforting when I read these verses to know that God knew and maybe even put these verses down so that one day I would read them and say, yeah, I need Christ because I am so drawn to the things of this world, the comforts. It's so natural for me to look at the pleasures and comforts of this world and chase them. It's so natural in my flesh to crave and desire the very best for my kids and my family. And here Jesus speaks and says, what good is it if you can gain everything, humanly speaking, in this world and yet lose your soul? In other words, if you are decked out from head to toe on the outside and yet your inner man is wasting away, not even looked at, you've missed the point. And I'm willing to bet I'm not alone. Actually, I know I'm not alone because we know that this was written to many different people at many different times in lots of different cultures. And you and I are here today and I'm guessing we all can relate to this. It's not often just the possessions that we think that we need in this world. It's, it's the, the hold on our time. It's the grip we have on our schedule, on our friendships we hold them in our thoughts and in our ways so dearly. Gain, gain, gain. Me-centered, me-centered. My terms, my way. It's all about me. You see, it's not so good to be a seven. But I want to consider something this morning that lies really beneath each of these desires and wants. It's, it's the cancer that that produces symptoms of a me-centered life. And it's the fundamental belief that I am able to satisfy my own desires. It's the foundational belief that I am the captain of my own destiny. The underlying lie that life is better on my terms than God's. It's the moment of personal insanity that maybe you have just like I have, that I tell God, God, I think I'm smarter than you. People laugh at that, and I think it should be laughed at, right? Because it's crazy, but we do it so often. God, I think I'm smarter than you. Paul Tripp says it this way, only when the awe of God rules your heart will you be able to keep the pleasures of this material world in their proper place. 
with the idea that maybe you and I are just naturally drawn to make life so good for us here. Our eyes are focused on earth. And so as we enter the fall with so many opportunities, with so many things coming up, a wave of new and exciting things to to fight for our time, for our money, and for our love, we want to enter it with the mind and the heart of Christ. Because, you know, in, in just a few short minutes, the Philadelphia Eagles will kick off and demand your love and your appreciation. The schedule of your children's sports will call the shots as you walk through your week. Homework, ah, homework. Tests and grades will ask you to bow down so that you can rise to the educational top. And parents, I just want to say, like, I often, I thought homework was a kid thing until you get, like, bombarded with how much happens as a parent in homework. My son came home to me uh, this a few days ago and said, Dad, I don't have any homework, but you do a lot of it. It like gave him that statement. The latest fashion trends will entice you to wrap yourself in the best possible threads the world has to offer. The opportunities to volunteer and serve and donate are going to bombard you at the ministry. Oh, wait. Uh, yeah, at the ministry fair. Yeah. Bombard your wallet and your calendars. Your home and your yard and your body are going to get tired and demand upkeep and work and maintenance. And oftentimes, we pursue a lot of these things, make a lot of these choices, and never even consider what the Lord might want to say about them. I do it, you do it, and the the human race has been doing it for a long time, all of human history. And so this morning, as we think about moving into the fall, I want to offer you some rules for the kingdom And when I say rules, I don't mean these are things that you follow in order that you can earn God's love and acceptance. We know the Christian life is actually flipped because of the grace that God has shown us, the acceptance and forgiveness in Christ. We can live and obey these things according to his grace at work in us. And so maybe these things that I offer you are less rules and more of works of grace that God is doing inside of you. And so here's the first one. The first one that we want to be about as a church, as a people, as followers of Christ, that we would consider God's spirit in all commitments, to do or not to do. That's the question. Some of us on one uh, polar extreme here have the overcommitment personality, and you got that giant pack of papers as your kids brought them home, and they had opportunities for sports and after-school activities, clubs, parent-teacher organizations, things that you could join at your work or committees or opportunities to serve at the church, and you're involved in everything, maybe, just maybe, you ran ahead with these things and never considered if the Lord would actually want you doing all these things or if your busyness was really self-motivated. And I beg you, as followers of Christ, that we would consider God's spirit in all of our commitments. Maybe just sitting with Jesus and his word, reading it and saying, Lord, should I? I've been doing this for 10 years. I just keep doing this. It's a good thing. All these are great things. 
but should I? Is this best? Do you want me to, Lord? Sometimes the most God-honoring thing some of us need to say is the word no. Keeping first things first and allowing second things to fall in their place second. Some of us on the other end of the spectrum have the excuse personality. We think we are busy, so busy, we can never commit to anything. It will be too much. I won't make a big difference. Uh, Why do I need to join that? God will use someone else or uh, I'm just too busy. I can't offer anything in this way. Making a sacrifice would just be too much to push that commitment to the side. And my prayer is that the Spirit of God, alive in us because of his grace, would move us to ask the question, is this best? Do you want? Should I, God? And that it would move us to action, not holding us back, maybe from taking a a giant leap of faith because of God's Spirit at work in us to move us to sacrifice some of the things that we say we're too busy with, maybe that are not most important. And so whatever we do, as followers of Christ, we're motivated by God's spirit in us. Galatians 5, 16, and 17 is such a core passage here at Fellowship. On our, at least on our staff, we are constantly talking about it. We don't want to run ahead of God's spirit, and we don't want to lag behind God's spirit. We want to keep in step. But I say, walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And oftentimes following God's Spirit feels maybe like some mystical thing where you have to kind of like receive this like drop down from heaven. Maybe a bird is going to come and drop you the message or like the door is physically going to close. And sometimes maybe God allows those circumstances to happen or communicates with us in this way, but oftentimes it is sitting with your Bible open and saying, Lord, I'm reading your word. I'm I'm ordering my life based off of your principles. Should I? And then it's going to require this. Listening. Because oftentimes in prayer, at least for me, I'm running ahead. I'm telling God all these things. God, show me this. Show me that. And God's like, I'm waiting for you to shut up so I can tell you. I mean, how many times do you sit maybe in just silence listening to God? You read God's word and then you're just like, God, I just want to hear you. Give him those questions and then wait. Nothing mystical. This is what the spirit of God alive in us does. It moves inside of us to give us uh, truth. It, It takes God's word and it convicts our hearts to know these things are true. It teaches us And maybe you're here and the idea of following God's spirit just seems really foreign to you. Like, how in the world could I ever have that happen in my life? Well, the the nature of the Christian life, for those that have followed him, that have said, I'm putting my trust in you, we have the promise of the Holy Spirit alive in us. It's not something we figure out. It's something that you've been given. But apart from this relationship with Christ, following the spirit would be really tricky because he's not alive inside of you. And so maybe the first moment would be allowing you to say, God, I want to surrender to you. Rather than just trying to ask you for things and hope that you can give me answers, kind of like this relationship, 
I just want to give everything to you. I want to turn my heart and say, I want to receive this life. That might be the first thing that happens for those who do not know Christ. He will forgive your brokenness and sin and and promise to guide and, and direct your life that you would surrender and desire his ways more than yours. That we would not only, as followers of Christ in his kingdom, consider God's spirit in all the commitments to do or not to do, but second, that we would give and serve toward heaven. That we would give and serve toward heaven. Man, it's a a huge gift that God invites us in to be part of his, reflecting his glory to the people around us. It's not a a mission that he needed to include us in, but he's chosen us to allow, to allow us to do these things. And so we can serve and do all these things, but it's because of Christ in us that we ought to serve as Christians. And there's a lot of great humanitarian effort that's being done in the world. But when we can say, And here's the love of Christ. Here's the cup of cold water. Here is the emergency aid package. And I want you to know a hope that will way outlast what I'm giving you right now. His name is Jesus. The Bible describes Christians as aliens and strangers in this world, which is a very odd thing to say. If you're following Christ, earth should feel like it's very foreign to you because you're looking to a kingdom, as Hebrews 13 says, for this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. Our eyes are focused on heaven, and so as we serve here, we are serving saying, hey, I'm looking to heaven. And so when I give you this earthly help, I'm also saying there's someone that can meet the greatest need you'll ever have because one day this will pass away. There's a writer I love to actually listen to. Uh, he's written some books, but his audiobooks are way better because it's him speaking his own words. And so Bob Goff, if you've never heard of him, great writer. He's written two books, Love Does and Everybody Always, talking about what we're compelled to do, what we are uh, expected to do as followers of Christ. Bob is uh, doing some amazing humanitarian work in the country of Uganda. He is a lawyer that weaseled his way into Pepperdine Law School and somehow got a law degree. Read his story, it's amazing. And he's working at this, uh, this place in Uganda to care for kids that are being wrongly thrown into prison for lots of different things. He's freeing them and then bringing the witch doctors, because that's their culture, bringing them into the court and saying, these are the guys that need to be tried for their wrongs they've committed. And so what Bob Goff is doing is bringing them in and and releasing these kids and trying the people that need to be put into prison. And there's this moment in his story where Bob gets to this place where he has the first witch doctor tried and put into jail. And it's almost like he sits in his hotel room, crosses his arms, and then the spirit comes knocking and says, you know, humanitarian work is not what I wanted just from you. I wanted you to do this in the name of Christ which meant forgiveness of those guys, which meant giving them something more than just the punishment they deserved. And so Bob began this school, and he brings them in, and he teaches them how to be educated, how to live. And these witch doctors are learning how to read and write, and their curriculum is the Bible and Bob's two books. It's comical. 
But like, this is the redemptive way that we ought to work. We ought to think. Not only should I just be helping things in this world, but man, I'm, I'm living and serving and giving toward heaven because I'm realizing as an alien and a stranger in this world, the Christ life is about not only here, but one to come for eternity. I love the, the tag of Samaritan's Purse. All they do in Jesus' name. We serve and love with godly motivation and intention. We're neighbors to the people that live right around us, not just to be a good, well-respected neighbor, but with the purpose of pointing them to the hope that can't be contained in your family, the hope that is inside of you, Christ. We consider God in all of our commitments and all of our plans and all of our thoughts to do or not to do. We give and serve with eyes toward heaven, not just on earth. And the third thing is we serve as God's beloved, not to gain his acceptance. You see, maybe you're hearing this for the first time, but good works will not qualify you for heaven. Serving in ministries at this church, at that ministry fair, will not earn you brownie points with God. Giving in the offering each week is not something that's going to cover your wrong and your sin. The gospel is not for sale. It's already been purchased. And we can be freely recipients of that grace that God has shown to us simply by turning and acknowledging Christ's shed blood and broken body. And so we serve out of love and devotion to God, not just to, to, to earn acceptance. It can never be done. It's already been made. I want you to hear this verse, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see that? It's, it's, we could flip that around and say, we got to do all these good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Uh, so that we can earn his grace and his love. But the way the scriptures teach it is, he's given you this free gift of love. And because of that, because of his spirit, man, this work that you get to do, part of his redemptive story and plan, you get to join that. Don't flip it around. I think many churches today would teach that. In order to get right with God, you pay, you give, you serve, you say, you do, whatever it is. And the scriptures teach just the opposite. It's been done. Now, if you're here today and hearing for the first time that salvation is not by works, it's a free gift, maybe you're thinking, well, how do I get this gift? Well, let me tell you, it's real simple. You acknowledge that your sin, your brokenness, separates you from God. Romans is littered with scriptures all throughout talking about ways that we are dead in our sin and it separates us from God. No one can, can get to heaven on their own. And then we acknowledge that Jesus Christ took all of the just payment that we deserved, gave his life on the cross, dying the death that you and I deserved. He rose again and freed us to have new life 
by his grace, grace, if only we put our faith in him. And so this gift of grace, I want to give you the opportunity right now to receive. Maybe you've never had that chance before. Maybe you've never had the opportunity to just sit and, and receive this truth and say, God, I believe it. I can't make it to you. Help me. Come into my life. Take the command center of my life and lead me. I accept that Christ is the one who paid my punishment. Pray with me this morning. Lord, the truth that you lay forth in Scripture says that what we deserve for our sin is death. Lord, that each one of us has sin and brokenness. There's no one that's righteous. We can't earn your acceptance. We won't ever deserve your acceptance. You poured out our just punishment on Christ. And so, Lord, we believe you this morning. And I stand here as a child of God knowing, Lord, because you've given that gift of grace to me, And so this morning, maybe you're here and you want to receive that life that God is reaching out and offering to you. Simply, you could pray this prayer. God, I know my sin separates me from you. I could never do anything to earn your love and your favor. God, I believe that Christ came and died and was buried for my sin. And Lord, I put my faith and my trust in him. God, be the center of my life. Have the, have the steering wheel of my life. In his name we pray, amen. And the, the beautiful truth is when we put our faith and belief in Christ, when we accept him as our savior, we are a new creation. The old way is gone. The spirit of God is in you. The new way has come. And that is something to celebrate, right? Amen? No one has that life? Come on, right? Amen? The spirit of God is alive in in you. So, Here's the deal this morning. We get to celebrate this and remember this life. Maybe it it happened a long time ago for you. And that's why we have communion. Because very early on, before Jesus died and was buried, he was in a room with his disciples. And he said this. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, this is the cup in the new covenant in my blood, do this when you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine their own hearts before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. And so, This morning, you have the chance to examine your heart, to say, Lord, maybe there's something here that I need to just confess to you. I don't want to walk in and remember your your sacrifice, your body broken and your bloodshed for me and continue in this way. I want to confess 
my brokenness and sin to you. And for those that haven't accepted Christ as their Savior, man, this isn't for you. I would encourage you to crack open a Bible that you find right in your pew right now and and look up John 3.16 and 17. And for the next few minutes, just consider the words that are written there. And today, as we share this meal together for the, the people that have named the name of Christ as their Lord and Savior, the disciples had this ominous, what was going to happen next. But where we stand today is the other side of the cross, the other side of the grave. And so we celebrate. And so this morning, here's how we're going to do communion. A little bit different, right? Oftentimes, it's solemn. It's like we got to fold our hands and bow our heads and be quiet. And there's certainly moments for that to examine our hearts, and we're going to do that. But then I'm going to ask you, once you've done that, to come down and receive communion. You're going to walk down. You're going to grab it, the broken body of Christ, the shed blood of Christ. Walk it back to your seat. And with the group that you had even praying together, you're going to take that. And you're going to share two statements with each other and speak them to each other. And they're up here. You're going to say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. We remember. We're doing this together. We remember the life that we have now in Christ. Hey, we're here together. This is the blood of Christ shed for you. Let's remember this together. As often as we eat and drink, we are about this life as the body of Christ. So I'll invite you to take a few minutes to, to examine your hearts, to give your brokenness and sin to him. And then we're going to come down and, and music's going to play. That is not quiet. It's celebratory because we are celebrating this new life. All right, people of God, we're going to come down and we're going to celebrate. You're going to be tempted. I know it because I've watched it two services in a row. You're going to be tempted to sit in your circle when you get back and all bow your heads really solemnly. But let's look at each other. Let's smile and say, man, this is the broken body and shed blood of Christ for you and speak that to each other, okay? So come on down. We're going to receive communion and celebrate the life that we have in Christ.